We're building this city one day at a time. Welcome to Grow Lincoln, the program with Lincoln's future in mind. Your hosts are former Lincoln City Councilwoman Robin Eshelman and Dave Albers, two experts in the field of commercial real estate and business development. Now, it's time to Grow Lincoln on the Voice of Lincoln, 1499.3 KLIN. Our listeners and social media fans help us find the news by sending photos and questions about construction they see around town. Contact us on Facebook or Twitter. And this segment is possible today because of Nebraska Prep Equipment and Sorghum United. On today's show, UNL College of Business has resources for Lincoln businesses and Lincoln business people. And we get to talk to uh, Kyle Fisher from the Realtors Association of Lincoln, along with Brad Hulse, who is the current president. Roger Frank. He is going to explain the mysteries of your Social Security being taxed once you are set to retire. And, and, and Corey Hart from Nebraska Prep Equipment. Oh, we, Sorry about that. We love talking to Corey. Always, he has the latest trends in restaurant design. It's fun to hear about. Well, let's introduce our first guest, Robin. We've got Emery Unlu from UNL College of Business with us. He is in charge of executive and professional development down there on campus. Um, they do outreach to the business community, and this involves lunches. They do continuing ed for tax professionals. They have a nonprofit tax institute and programs they can customize for your business. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me again on your show, Robin and Dave. It's a pleasure to be here. I have been to some of your power lunches. Those are very specific topics, and I would say as a business person, I have really enjoyed getting away from the office, driving down on campus, and sitting in a room with a mix of professors and other business people and just kind of hearing what the trends are. Um, what has been the most popular power lunches that you have hosted over the, over the years? Robin, before coming here, I counted the number of topics that was offered in Power Lunch Series, and the count was 51 or the course of past 50. So you've had 51 of these outreach lunches that business people can come to. Absolutely. And if I have to name a few, I would say Gallup Strengths-Based Leadership Development, Employee Engagement, Effective Communication, How to Innovate as an Organization, and Customer Service would be the most popular topics. Yeah, that sounds practical, actually. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It does sound practical. Yeah, it does. We hold these luncheons every fall, and within each series, we offer three or four topics. Location-wise, we have been mostly in Lincoln, but once in a few years, we go to Omaha. We'll be posting this schedule late spring on our website, which is business.unl.edu forward slash execed. Oh, good, good. Um, describe what you offer in your tax institute. Tax Institute is probably our most involved engagement, and it's a massive outreach program. Year 2024 marks the 70th anniversary of the Institute. The Institute delivers tax education around 1,000 tax professionals around the state. These professionals might be IRS enrolled agents, CPAs, attorneys, insurance producers, or other tax preparers. Every year around mid-October, we start the season with our one-day Agricultural Taxation and Management Symposium in York, Nebraska. Then in early November, we kick off the two-day Federal and State 
income tax program starting in Scotts Bluff, Nebraska. During the months of November and December, we move east. We stop by North Platte, Kearney, Grand Island, Norfolk, Lincoln, and Omaha. This is a six-week road trip for us, and we enjoy every minute of it. We get to meet so many folks around Nebraska and surrounding states. And it makes me proud that we offer quality education in rural communities, but not just in Lincoln and Omaha. And our last offering in the Tax Institute, which is our one-day 1040 workshop, occurs in early January. And as you probably would agree, Form 1040 is the most prominent tax form that tax professionals deal with. And this program serves as a refresher right at the beginning of the tax season. Um, I also want to note that all of these programs are also offered in a live webinar format. So those who cannot travel to the location have an opportunity to participate and earn continuing education credits for their license. A typical professional who attends these three programs earns 34 hours of continuing education credits, which easily satisfies their annual licensing mm. requirements. Yeah. So you have a nonprofit management institute also. Have, have you gotten quite a few uh, attendees in those? Uh, it's funny you ask that because courses, yeah. I was on this show when we were getting ready to launch the inaugural year of the Nonprofit Management Institute. And now we're about to start the third year of the Institute. The program was very well received by nonprofits in Nebraska as well as Western Iowa. More than 50 nonprofits have been participating in the Institute. Um, we've also had sponsorship commitments from United Way Lincoln and HBE CPAs and consultants to reduce the cost of attendance to participants. And surely we are grateful for our sponsorships. Oh, yeah, that's nice. Now, I okay, I am kind of fascinated by that whole thing. And what at what point, I mean, we've had nonprofits for a long, long time. At what point did it become systematized and intricate enough that it became college level and and what prompted the university to offer this if i have to be honest sheer luck uh, <laughs> we have an expert on staff he's been offering a nonprofit class in our mba program uh, dr jimmy croft and he and i got together start talking about this education in an exec ed uh, private setting and that's how the idea got started. And, and why not raise the bar? Why not? Yeah. <laughs> you know, it, it, we didn't used to expect much sophistication from nonprofits. And now to run a nonprofit it, is very sophisticated. Yeah, and several of them have significant numbers of employees, uh, yes. which once again creates a whole management issue. Where I think a lot of times in, in the past we thought of when we were organizations, little children, yeah. We, we thought of you know three, four, five people maybe. Now there's hundreds. Non nonprofits are big. Yeah. I completely agree, and uh, do not let the word nonprofit mislead our audience here because we're pretty much teaching them sound business ideas, business strategies, how you would equally implement for a for-profit sitting as well as a nonprofit yeah, sitting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, that is interesting. You also have a booming business in customizing programs for organizations. I bet a lot of companies in Lincoln don't realize they can go to the university and have you design clinics, courses, workshops that um, can be made available to employees. 
Uh, that's right. Uh, we're getting increasingly large number of requests for our custom education. And the primary appeal of custom education is it allows organizations to train their leaders on the topics of their choice. The typical process starts with needs assessment. Either the organization tells us what they want or we advise them what would be a good fit. Interesting. After content approval, we take care of logistics such as location, delivery, style, in-person webinar, dates, recruitment of attendees, participants, and then finally the program starts. Program format could be as short as an hour, such as keynote speaking or custom power luncheon, or it could be an eight-month-long academy uh, where we hold a class once a month. Let's say a, a, a business wants to get a hold of you and have you do something custom for them, and they're at the Google machine. <laughs> what, what's, what keystrokes should they put in there to get to your website? I tested this. The one that gave me the greatest success was UNL ExecEd. ExecEd. Okay. And our link should be up there in the top three. Or our website is, again, business.unl.edu forward slash execed. Or they can send me an email at emre at unl.edu or give me a call at 402-472-2353. Well, thanks again for coming in and uh, giving us such great information. We appreciate that. That was Dr. Emery Unlu from UNL College of Business. When we come back, housing trends in coming years. It's Grow Lincoln, 1499.3 KLIN. Have you tried doing your own podcast? Is it too time-consuming? Partner with us at Grow Lincoln and we'll help you out. Between our two shows, we have a built-in audience of thousands of people and can push them out for you. Message us on Facebook or Twitter for more information. And this segment is possible today because of Service Master Professional Building Maintenance and Trans World Business Advisors. Housing trends, past, present, and future. We wanted to talk to um, the Realtors Association about this. And we have Kyle Fisher in Luckily, we have Kyle Fisher. We are Fisher. lucky to have him. You bet. <laughs> hey, this is one of Lincoln's premier shows. You're, I'm lucky to be here. That's what I said. <laughs> well, we try to make this fun for people who own a home, people who own a business. We try to reach out and, and find that audience. Um, you closely follow trends in real estate, particularly residential real estate, but also commercial. What, what have you been seeing and what do you predict yeah, I think, you know, trends for 2024, uh, you know, as we closed out uh, the last year in especially residential sales, it was real balancing in the market and actually fewer year over year sales for the first time since the great housing recession in wow. 2009, 2010. So that was the last time we actually saw a year over year uh, fewer sales, which is what we saw between 2023 and 2024. And so, you know, interest rates nice. did something that the COVID pandemic couldn't. Right. Uh, and that is slow down the residential real estate market in Lincoln and across the country. And I tell you what, people, sometimes they freak out about it. They, they like to kind of base their worldview on, on how the real estate market is going. But an actual slowing in sales isn't always a bad thing when you consider where we were for so long. Multiple offers, thousands of dollars over uh, asking. 
it pushed out first-time homebuyers. It pushed out uh, those folks who were, very, were struggling to, to buy a home. And so to see a balance come back is a good thing. It doesn't mean that the, the prices of houses are going to go down. This is what I think a lot of people get concerned about, Kyle. It just means that we're just not going to see necessarily that rapid rise that we saw. We'll, we'll just see it will get back to the norm or, or closer to the norm. Yeah, Lincoln's economy isn't in trouble because sales are slower one year versus the other. Prices, home values still stayed steady or went up. I mean, we didn't see as big an increase as we have, but you still saw your asset increase. So you're exactly right, Dave. It's actually good to get back to a time when maybe a house is on the market for 20 to 30 days. More people get a chance to see it. More people can get some affordability built in. You know, one of the great stats that we look at is percent to list price received. When you get over that 100% list price per asking, that means you're getting multiple offers. You know, you're you're getting it in over asking price. You see that fall back, and then you start to see it's a little bit more of a buyer's market than it was. And so we like to to look at that balance and and see that trend right around that 100%. Hey, I remember when the marketing time, you thought it was good if it was three months, (laughs) two and a half to three months. Right, and for perspective, you know, there was a time – in that housing crunch a few years ago uh, where, you know, we had less than 90 homes on the market in 2009, 2010, great housing recession. There were 2,500 homes on the market in Lincoln. So perspective is everything. It's a cycle. It is a trend that, uh, you know, 2024, where we're at now, we'll see where it goes. To your point about how housing prices haven't gone down, you know, like raise your hand if you want to sell your house at a loss. Nobody's raising their hand. Um, But we are because of COVID in an inflationary era where a house costs so much more. So what do you see now or what do you predict in coming years for the size of lots, the the construction of the home? Are we going to see something change there because of the cost? Well, I, I mean, the single-family detached home is still king. Um, you don't see us necessarily going for more townhomes or condos in the air or... You know, when we talk about uh, these issues on a, on a macro level, right, with the planning commission or with the city and with developers and that, you know, you hear the push is, is a trend towards infill to existing, build up, right? Right. And, and that's fine. We can But will move, Lincoln do that? Well, we can move to do more. But in any given year, we're going to need ten to 12,000 more housing units. We can't do that's that. That's a lot. That's a lot. Yeah. And, and that's in our comprehensive plan to get out to 2050. We can't do that all in a downtown condo high-rise or a row home uh, in an existing area. The single-family detached home that we build new from the ground in a green area is still going to be king, and it's still going to account for 80% or more of our home growth. And that's what people need to understand when we talk about this. It's great to use what we have and to keep the infrastructure that we have strong. But we can't meet the demand without growing. And, and isn't that what this show is all about? Yeah, you're, you're right about that. <laughs> you know, and I have a Gen Z kid. And, you know, of course, we've tried to instill the value of you need to 
know, get into into owning a home here before too long and um, haven't been able to get her interested in a townhome or a condo or to start. She's like, oh, I live in an apartment. I'll, you know, right. I already have people living around me. I'm experiencing that. I don't want to do that when I go out to buy something. So I think we just have a different mentality in the Midwest than what you have to have if you live on the East Coast. And that's your only option. So, yeah. No doubt. What about some other trends? Well, I think, you know, as we look, I think as we look not only past residential but into commercial, you know, there's some issues working through uh, the city as we talk about lowering lot sizes. I know you guys are having uh, discussions with your commercial folks about repurposing buildings. Uh, I want to give a special shout out to city councilman and realtor Tom Beckius. Uh, for wanting to address commercial parking uh, standards and and looking at lot sizes. I mean, I think the real question is going to be as we move, continue to move through 2024 and beyond, and you two are right on the forefront of this, what does a commercial business look like? Whether it's a restaurant or a retail, is it uh, using our infrastructure for an aging population Um, What does that look like? And if we're going to make lots smaller, if we're going to make commercial development smaller, I I think we've really got to ask those questions because as things move online, your residence becomes key and not necessarily your location of work, right? That's that shift in trends. Mm -hmm. It's where you live and how you live because you can work remotely if if you are so able to do so. And you shop online. And you go pick it up and you look at what Walmart has done at 84th and Andermatt out there. I mean, they converted the outdoor home and garden section of their show to uh, uh, store to an online fulfillment center. Right. Right. Mm-hmm. What is that going to look like? Because we not only 2024, where we're at now today, but 2025, 2026, things change faster than even us three care to imagine. Yeah, yeah. It, yeah. you're right. And the thing the one thing you can count on is change. <laughs> yeah, yeah. 20 years ago, who would have seen the rise of Aldi and Trader Joe, the, the small grocery store? It was all yeah. about building the biggest box you could build. And yeah, exactly. Things, things have changed. That's so. right. I mean, Wi-Fi. Can you imagine uh, not only when, when you guys were kids, but even uh, myself, uh, even in Lincoln Public Schools in the 90s? Wi-Fi? I, I mean, it's it's beyond imagination then. And it's Take something we take for granted in 20 years. Always no fun to talk to you, Kyle. Always. You've, you've been listening to Kyle Fisher from the Realtors Association of Lincoln. Great source of information about trends. Coming up next, we're going to talk about Social Security taxes. It's such a mystery. Someone explain this. Everyone is excited about new business. And our business is to tell you what's new. This is Grow Lincoln on 1499.3 KLIN. Find our podcast on the KLIN website under the shows tab if you missed the first part of the show or find Grow Lincoln on Apple Podcasts. And this segment is possible today because of Lincoln Airport Authority, Charter Title, and John Henry's Plumbing, Heating, Air Conditioning, and Electrical. Some folks want to take Social Security but have a part-time job. Others have a 401k, a SEP plan, a Roth. Maybe they even own some real estate that's going to be bringing in income. 
Roger Frank is here to talk about how you get taxed once you start taking Social Security. How are you doing, Roger? I'm doing well. Thanks again for having me. You know, uh, so this is a question I get quite a bit from clients that are nearing the Social Security age. The question I get is, how much can I still earn before my Social Security is taxed? You know, the answer really isn't very complicated. If you are single and your income is below 25000 your Social Security will not be taxed. If your income is between 25000 and 34000 then up to 50% of your Social Security will be taxed. And if your income is over 34000 it'll be taxed up to 85%. Now, if you're married and your combined income is under 32000 your Social Security will not be taxed. If your income is between 32000 and 44000 then it'll, again, it'll be up, uh, taxed up to 50%. And if your income is over 44000 then your Social Security will be taxed up to 85%. So why don't you help people out when you say, when you talk about 50%, 80%, blah, blah, blah? Sure. Yeah, keep in mind that the 50% and 85% limits are not tax rates. And again, I want to repeat, not tax rates. They simply reflect the maximum portion of your Social Security benefits that could be subject to tax. Now, when you retire, you must consider where your income is coming from. It could be, as an example, required minimum distributions, which is considered income. It could be from capital gains, dividends from investments. I would suggest visiting with your tax preparer to see how your income affects your tax on your Social Security benefits. I've had friends say, do the math. It makes sense to retire earlier and go ahead and take Social Security because you can keep working and invest your Social Security in like mm -hmm. an investment fund. But then you would be paying taxes on every one of those things, right? And now I'm starting to get a headache. Well, I'm all for retiring early. <laughs> oh, I see. <laughs> uh, yeah, so if you're trying to reduce your taxes on your Social Security benefits, you might actually consider delaying taking your benefits until you quit working. You could also accelerate your IRA income, as an example, by converting those dollars to Roth IRA dollars before you retire. You could start gifting your retirement dollars to qualified charities. That will help you on your taxes as well. Again, I would suggest working with your tax preparer, and if you have a financial professional, uh, work with them, establish a plan that works for your situation. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Roger, I think basically what you're saying is everybody's situation is different if you have a tax preparer. Let somebody just don't eat. try to figure you it out on your own. <laughs> this stuff gets so complicated. And if you ever look, looked at some of the IRS regulations, it's a tome. Yes. Uh, those, those regulations. Yeah, that's what those folks are there for to help answer some of those questions. Yep. Oh, crazy stuff. Thank, thanks for the for the information. So now they know what they don't know. <laughs> <laughs> well, thanks a lot for coming in, Roger. You're welcome. Roger Frank is a registered representative of and securities offered through Berthel Fisher & Company Financial Services, BFCFS, member FINRA, SIPC, Investment Advisory Services offered through BFC Planning, Inc. Frank Financial Concepts, BFCFS, and BFC Planning, Inc. are independent entities. I am a client of Roger's, and I am not being con compensated. Coming up next, Corey Hart will be in from Nebraska Prep Equipment to talk about restaurant trends. <music> Economic development is not boring. It's our future. 
It's Grow Lincoln, 1499.3 KLIN. Grow Lincoln Show. Welcome. Thank you for listening to us. This is where you find out about trends in business, development, and construction. Lincoln, that's what we've been talking about today. And this segment is possible today because of Lincoln Chamber of Commerce and Baylor, Evnen, Wolf, and Tannehill Law Firm. Corey Hart is with us from Nebraska Prep Equipment. We want to talk to him about, guess what, trends in, in the restaurant business. Yes. <laughs> thank which you. are always changing. So <laughs> yeah, that, that's, what's, that's what makes this interesting. Always changing. Yeah, thanks a lot for coming in, Corey. Um, give us that quick elevator speech for those who have not heard you on our show before. Um, what do you do? Absolutely. So uh, I appreciate you having us in here today. Uh, we're a locally owned food service equipment dealer. We've been in business since late 2017. Uh, we started out actually as a used equipment dealer, but over the last three years, we've transitioned into only offering new equipment. And a lot of that's because of we want to offer that warranty for our customers. Uh, we're a direct dealer for pretty much all the major brands that everyone knows. And then we also we do offer a wide range of economy lines because we want to make sure we're serving that customer who may be on a tighter budget wants to save some money, but still kind of wants that security of that uh, manufacturer warranty. For a restaurant acquiring second generation space, and maybe they're doing this for the first time, what equipment has the greatest tendency to need major repairs or replacement? You know, I would say probably on that one, check the fryers. The and fryers. If fryers and anything that's going to produce grease. Mm-hmm. Uh, Gets gummed up. It gets gummed up. It kind of makes a nasty mess, if you will. It, it does. It, <laughs> we, we lease a, a lot of restaurant space, and you go by where the fryers are. It's pretty easy to find. It is find dirty it. there. It yeah. is. And, and especially, you know, going into an establishment that was a prior restaurant that had those fryers in there, it, it may not have been kind of cleaned as well as it should have been, especially if these businesses are on their way out. It's kind of a an oversight. So don't trust the fl- the fryers. <laughs> yeah, and, and, you know, they're relatively inexpensive. So Are they? So uh, again, I I'd, sh- I'd start there, but then next would be the refrigeration. Mm. You know, refrigeration is so critical cuz the last thing you want to do is look at a unit, think, "Well, this is great, run it for a week and then load it full of thousands of dollars of product products and then all of a sudden it's it's out on a Monday morning." So And then you're in trouble with the health department. And then you're in trouble with the health department, but but not only that, the loss of revenue because yeah. of all the products that have yes. just spoiled. So that would be probably the, the first and the second to look at. And then if you got any questions, call us and we can chalk down the list. Well, you know, that kind of brings up a, a question. Uh, you know, owners tackle with a difficult decision whether to invest more in repairs or just buy something new or replace something. Is there a specific formula that you guys use or – if I had the formula, this would be really easy. Yeah. But uh, there's not really a cut or dry answer to this. Uh, you know, we actually came from the food service industry. We had operated a, a fairly large catering company for quite a few years prior to getting into the restaurant equipment. And uh, so we, we understand the coin flipping decision that's involved with this. Uh, so what we always do is we recommend get a repair estimate. Take the repair estimate and call us. It's not going to cost you to call us. Figure out what it's going to cost to replace it. Uh, it's, for instance, a single-door refrigerator. It's going to be maybe twelve hundred bucks for parts and labor to replace a compressor. It's going to be a couple hundred dollars more to buy a brand new unit with potentially a five year warranty. So that's one of those that, ones. That seems to be a no brainer. Correct. But then you look at the other end of that a twenty thousand dollar brazing skillet. If it's going to cost a thousand dollars to fix it, that may make sense to actually repair that unit and get a few more years out of it. Uh, you know, we got a good working relationship with Service Techs here in Lincoln. Uh, call them. They've always been honest with our customers and their customers. 
if they don't think it's going to be worth repairing it, they're going to say replace it. So yeah, reach out to the professionals. Yeah. Um, you attend national trade shows, and in the past you've come on our show and shared some really fun information about robots being used in restaurants and other technology. Starting to see this yet in Lincoln? We haven't seen it firsthand in the, our customers' establishments. Uh, you know, there's a lot of cutting-edge technology out there that may be even in our areas, Lincoln especially. And if there is, we'd like to know about them. And the reason why is because that way we can educate ourselves on their products that we may not offer. So we can help them in the event that they have an issue. And not only that, it may help down the person down the street who's battling that same hurdle that this owner was doing prior to uh, implementing these cutting-edge technologies, if you will. Well, but there's probably more advancements that a local business owner would see in, I don't know, AI in the the programmability of a device or the technology of of a device. That's probably what we're going to see first. Correct. So there's a lot of equipment anymore that's... It's it's essentially has its own computer in it. Right. Yeah. If you can see a picture, right, you can essentially run this. Uh, we're starting to sell these uh, Pratica ovens. It's it's almost like the rapid cook microwave oven, if you will, air fryer oven. You you can upload even your own images or just a generic image of say a sausage and egg sandwich. You hit that button, everything's preset for you. Forty five seconds potentially, you've got a, a toasted sandwich ready to serve. So oh, how fun! They actually look at a picture. It's, it's yeah. You don't, fortunately, you don't have to get out your crayons and color it, but uh, it's, it's already in there for you. <laughs> I know. You, well, you have to make it simple. Okay, so I know you probably don't sell the kiosks that that could be put inside of a restaurant to order the food, right? But you you probably hear about this at, at a trade show. Is it really working? I mean, these things take up a lot of room, and it's actually kind of slow if you're standing behind somebody. <laughs> yeah. What What is the feel out there? You know, this is going to be all based on kind of opinion. Okay. Um, yeah. And well, the reason fine. I say that is because we've never really looked too far into this technology just because our customer base, I, I don't foresee them ever, I shouldn't say ever, in the near future utilizing this. Uh, you know, they want that personal interaction. Whether it's taking the order. If you bother to go in, you probably want to be around and people. And that's kind of my concept, too. I've seen the stuff out there. Uh, you know, some of the larger chains have it, fast food chains. I use them. I've stood in line behind people using yeah. them. Yeah. We, I don't know if I've personally used them for the simple fact that, you know, one of our team's rules are to make sure that we're patronizing our customers first, their food establishments. If we're going to go out and enjoy a meal. Uh, and then secondly, it would be someone that's locally owned. So, right. again, I haven't really used them. To tell you if I think that they're going to be a lifesaver or not, you go to the self-checkouts and you could potentially take longer to check your own stuff than it would oh, be. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And then the conversation you're missing. So it's just it's all... the warmth interaction. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. We I all mean, need not that. that the fast food kid is always warm, but, you know, sometimes they are. <laughs> <laughs> well, I've used uh, those kiosks a couple of times. And, you know, the first time you do it, it's it's a little bit of a process because you have to kind of familiarize yourself with that specific the device but uh i've seen some people really struggle correct yeah you know? it all kind of depends on i mean it all came out of the wages and we this is what we have to do but you know whether correct. it really works is maybe still out there yeah. for, for and it's going to depend on the, the the person's ability and knowledge of technology yeah, yeah. you take someone that's been living under a rock they may struggle a lot more they would rather have that uh <laughs> But there's also there's a lot of other alternative methods. You look at like Fritz's in Kansas City. They you pick up the phone and you order it 
on that. I mean, that's kind of a cool way. It's not a kiosk per se, but it's just. Apps, oh, apps yeah. work, apps work a little bit better. And yeah. apps do work. Yeah, yep. they, they do work better. Oh, always so fun to talk to you. All of us like to eat like three times a day. Yeah, so anything, <laughs> you, anything you say about a, ra- a restaurant, like we're always listening. So thanks for coming in. Thanks for having me. Coming up next, Dave and I are going to talk about some of the, the macro trends in business, in development and construction around Lincoln. This city is my city. And I love it, yeah, I love it. I was born and raised here, I got it made And if I have my way, I'm gonna stay forever because It's Grow Lincoln, 1499.3 KLIN. Robin Eshleman of Eshleman Commercial Real Estate with you today. And Dave Albers of The Albers Company. And this segment is possible today because of Realtors Association of Lincoln, Sarter Heyman Jewelers, and Lincoln Electric System. Business trends, macro trends, construction development trends around Lincoln. Wanted to talk to you, actually to each other, about this, what we as commercial realtors are seeing, what some of the most profound changes are in Lincoln. Well, Robin, the first one that I would... uh, think of is what's happening out at Highway 77 in I-80, where Google's going in. Uh, At the beginning of the year, there were some um, significant building permits that went went through for almost $9 million. And prior to that, there was other permits. Uh, And there's and now keep, you keep, go keep, out keep there and you permits. see this construction yeah. going on out there. And in I think the construction of all of the facilities out there is where our real economic driver is going to be for uh, the jobs uh, in, in that area. Because I don't believe uh, there are going to be a whole lot of jobs because it's just a big computer farm, basically. Yeah, but, but but the but, construction, the, boy, the sales dollars. tax from construction alone. Yeah. And and people in Lincoln probably don't realize probably I need to check with the city on this, but I think it's almost 60% of the city revenue is sales tax. So even if you aren't creating that many jobs, you're still creating a ton from the building of this. Well, and, and all of those employees are buying goods and services too. I mean, that, that's kind of the, the construction point. employees the, the construction employees. Yeah. yeah. And, and Google will have employees and they're going to be well-paid and they'll oh, be yeah. in our economy for decades to come. And yeah. But something of that size, you would normally think of uh, a facility having uh, thousands of employees, but you know, I think they're estimating 30 or 50 or something to that. At that number. I don't, I don't know what they're going to be. I, sh- I shouldn't even say that. As far as macro trends, you know, what we have been seeing and I think are going to continue to see for a few years is sort of a downward slide with downtown. I say during the 20, okay, is it, is it called the aughts? The 20 <laughs> teens? Is that what they call it? Um, downtown peaked. And pri- I, I never saw such high rent prices in downtown as I did like in 2018 and 2019. The garages were full. You couldn't get a parking stall anywhere. And then COVID. And I 
think it's going to take a long, long time for downtown to bounce back. I think downtown will always have to be incentivized for parking because as people got used to working at home or working in the suburbs, parking became more easy parking, free parking became more and more important. I think we are always going to have to pump money into downtown because of the parking objections. I agree with you on that. I I know you used to work downtown. I used to work downtown. Uh, parking's a is an issue, but it's a hassle if you're not but we used need, to we it. We need a viable downtown. Yeah, you know we. So we are that. going to have to subsidize it right. forever. And you know these trends that we're talking about that they they kind of ebb and flow. They do. Yeah, I mean downtown is more about living now, not about having your office necessarily it's more about having a condo yeah but the problem is is you know several of these buildings uh are difficult to convert right you you can't just snap your fingers and turn them into apartments it's you know for many reasons much harder codes yeah i think that's that I, i think you might be right about that robin uh it's just the downtown was one of those areas where if you needed large floor plates or multiple floors for your employees, they were, it was available there. Yeah. Yeah. But more and more people are consolidating their office space. I also think in, in a strange sort of way, even though you and I kind of think, we think of downtown Haymarket, Antelope Valley, Telegraph District is more or less kind of the same area. In a lot of ways, the three sort of compete against the one. You know, I think downtown has always sort of competed against the Haymarket because the Haymarket was cool and had all the restaurants. And now downtown is sort of competing with Telegraph District. You know, some people from downtown have moved to Telegraph District. And the Telegraph District has just a kind of a, I'm going to use the term vibe. A vibe of its own. Of its own, which I think a lot of people like. Mm -hmm. It's new. Yeah. Uh, I mean, it's old buildings with new space in them. Mm -hmm. Uh, So, I don't know. It'll be very interesting to see you know, over 10 years, uh, how, how all of that plays out. And Antelope Valley, you know, back years and years ago when they were creating the idea of Antelope Valley, that was going to have so many businesses and we were going to have this big return on investment because so many businesses would go to Antelope Valley. That didn't happen. It ended up being more about housing. Yeah. In fact, more about subsidized housing, but that's where the market was. The, yeah, you just gotta, the market needed affordable housing. Yeah, if I remember correctly, there was that Vision 2015 group mm-hmm. for, for part of that. Robin, the other thing, and this is something that uh, Kyle Fisher brought up uh, earlier in our show, is the use of parking lots. Uh, you know, we're we're seeing changes in that. I a, a shift towards not requiring so much parking, and especially in suburban developments, letting yeah. the developer decide how much parking is needed for that development. Just take note, one of the comments that you made about downtown office space was parking. Well, yeah, and this, I've been on both 
the development and construction and leasing side, and I've been on the city side as a former city council member, we had to subsidize College View. We had to subsidize Havelock. We had to subsidize University Place because they didn't have enough parking. Yeah. It'd be easy for that pendulum to swing the wrong way too far. So. Yeah, that's something you concern yourself with. Yeah, well, it never changes. Well, um, fun talking with you, Dave, about trends. Are we out of time? We are. Well, send in your pictures of businesses you see opening. We will announce them on our show. Hey.